Saturday. It's May 27th, 2023, and you are listening to Morning Meeting. I'm Ashley Baker in Antibes. And I'm Michael Haney in New York City. And we are two of your airmail editors. Not gonna lie, we're a little tired today. You're a little tired today? It was party, party, party all the time last night at the Hotel du Cap Beat and Rock as Airmail and Warner Brothers Discovery hosted a pretty fabulous party for the Cannes Film Festival. And we are here to gossip. We are here to gossip and it's a great show. And our co-editor, Alessandra Stanley, will join us to take us inside that party. And Ashley will have plenty of details as well. And then speaking of famous people and what they're up to, we've got a fun story. Lauren Banz is going to join us to tell us about what she thinks the best thing on social media ever might be. And that's the Instagram account of a certain actor in Hollywood, which is loaded not with humble brags of his roles and the celebrities he knows, but dad humor writ large. And then speaking of humor, the always funny David Camp will discuss his recent interview with some members of the group every New Yorker is obsessed about. And let's just say they have four legs and hairless tails. So it's a great show, a lot of fun. And as Ashley noted, it's going to go inside our big party this week. Lily Rose Depp, Robert De Niro, Martin Scorsese, Eva Longoria, Johnny Pagazzi, Rosie Huntington-Whiteley, Boy George, Sam Levinson, Rebel Wilson. What do all of these people have in common? They were all at the Hotel du Cap Eden Rock on Tuesday night, where Graydon Carter, the founder and co-editor of Airmail, and David Zaslav, the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, hosted quite extraordinary party to celebrate the Cannes Film Festival. We have Alessandra Stanley, the co-editor of Airmail, who was on the scene and is here to tell us all about it. Welcome, Alessandra. Hello. So tell us everything. First of all, how late did you stay out last night? Well, I wish I could stay. I stayed until the very end, but I left around midnight. And I understand that most people finally were pushed off and sent home around 2.30. And that would include you, I believe. So take us inside the Hotel du Cap in Rock last night, Alessandra. I mean, there were moguls, there were billionaires, there were actors. It was an incredible mix of people. What was it like? I mean, I think what makes it an interesting news story is the fact that you have celebrities that show up right? Whether it's Sting or Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, or, oh God, Scarlett Johansson. But what makes it a good party to be at is a mix. So there were a lot of very interesting people that aren't famous, famous, but there was college professors and there was an architect and there was Ruthie Rogers, the restaurateuse. There was a hotel owner. There was a art collector, auctioneer. There was ages, there was Hollywood, and there were rich people. But I have to say it was really nice in a way that sometimes fancy parties are more intimidating, but it didn't seem intimidating. Okay, I was intimidated by DiCaprio and Scorsese and Lily Rose Depp. Oh, please. (laughs) Those guys. Okay, okay, fine. Sting and Boy George also did it. (laughs) Well, the trick is to avoid people who are famous because... They don't want to talk to you either. So just talk to everybody else. And you know what? Joe Kahn was there from the New York Times, which was fun because I hadn't seen him. And he was my colleague. Now he's the boss. And he's not known for being a party person. So it was kind of fun to see him there. I believe he danced all night. Okay, so the evening started with a dinner for about 140 people inside Lou Rock, which is the Michelin starred restaurant at Hotel du Cap. I thought the food was delicious. Can we just talk about how good that ravioli was? Like, usually you go to these things and it's like a rubber chicken and a piece of chocolate cake. And it's a little depressing. Okay, Ashley. Yes. I've been to many dinners in my life. This is the only dinner where the women at my table all ate dessert. I've never seen that happen. I've only seen women say no dessert for me. And there they were, these beautiful 
slender, carefully maintained women all chowing down on dessert. Yeah, everything was delicious from the ravioli to the dessert to the wine was wonderful. Did I mention Don Perignon? Unlimited Don Perignon, yeah. Which has a magical effect, which is you can have as much as you want and not feel it. That's why it's so expensive. Yeah, if you're wondering why Tylenol sales are on TV this morning, now you know. (laughs) My favorite part of the food, though, I have to be honest, it was the burgers and french fries that were served afterwards. Did you have one? Of course not. I was wearing a white suit. Are you kidding? I could barely eat it. Every detail was well thought out and beautiful. How many ashtrays did you take home, Ashley? I took home none because I felt like I should save them for the important people. I mean, there was a real clamoring for them, but stealing was encouraged. So if you see them popping up on social media, that was all by design. Exactly. Maybe that's a segue to this question, which is like, it's great to have all those bold-faced names in the room. But as you know, Alexander, that's what makes a great party is that mix. But also what makes a memorable party is some bad behavior or scandalous behavior or crazy behavior, anything that we can reveal without denigrating anyone, of course. There were some attempted party crashers, people who tried to get it at the end who had to be sent away. That's always exciting. There was one very drunk person who showed up who wasn't invited and didn't realize he wasn't invited and just got sick. But most of the guests were very well behaved, I would say. Yes, I think everybody was beautiful. Beautifully behaved. It was a very elegant crowd. The Cannes Film Festival has had a lot of attention this year because there's been a lot of buzz, shall we say, going around. And it was cool to see David Zaslav there with all of those stars from Warner Brothers. I think one of my favorite parts of the party was the projections. I love the dancing. I love the music. I love the food. But I thought the projections and the pool were so great because they had all these famous Warner Brother films that were being shown in short little snippets projected into the swimming pool, which I think was a first for Hotel Ducap. It was really cool. Oh, that was wonderful. Absolutely. But I mean, the people who were there from Warner's were lovely. Actually, I spoke to a few, but it wasn't a big, huge studio crowd. Again, the guest list was very mixed, which also made it easy. If it's all of one thing, it's not much fun for everybody. One of the things Graydon is so incredible at is making everybody feel welcome. And did you notice last night how he and David Zaslav were standing at the door greeting everyone as they came in, making everybody feel so welcome? It was just, it sort of set the tone for a really nice, friendly evening that was full of fancy people, but didn't feel stuffy. Yeah, exactly. It was actually remarkable. And I have to say it is to the credit of Graydon, who's done this before, but never seems to take it pass fail. And to David Zaslav, right, who was a great co-host. I mean, he was very gracious to everybody and knew who everybody was and was interested in talking to everybody. It was nice. Did I mention princesses? I think we had more than one princess. It's not a party unless you have multiple princesses. Princess I? Yes, but no royals, interestingly. No British royals. Not even the non-working royals were there. Perhaps that was by design. Anyway, that's something that we'll ask Graydon the next time we have him on. (laughs) Good. Okay. Thank you so much, Alessandra. Have a restful and relaxing evening. Well, thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. If I'm less chatty than normal, Michael, it's because I was, in fact, up until two o'clock in the morning last night. And you know that is not my usual style. Did you keep your shoes on the whole time? Did you go barefoot at any point? Alessandra told me I was not allowed to go swimming no matter what happened. And I kept to that, Michael. I followed the rules. You don't want any fatalities. It's always like, looks good. And then all of a sudden, swimming after two in the morning, not a good idea. Just like, just rather have you wake up perfect. Yeah, fair enough. It's good to wake up with all of your limbs and full mobility. So why not? (laughs) Okay. So next we're going to move on to Lauren Bands. Lauren is a former magazine editor at GQ, now a Hollywood screenwriter. And fortunately for us, she's on strike. So she's not doing any of her Hollywood work right now. And she's writing some stories for Airmail, which is wonderful. And she has a very funny essay this week about her favorite thing on Instagram. Not what you would expect it to be. I would say my favorite account is Influencers in the Wild. Lauren's belongs to Michael Keaton. Welcome, live from Hollywood, Lauren Vance. 
So Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Okay, social media, the internet, loaded with horrible things, as we all know. But tell us what you think you may have discovered the best thing ever on social media slash the internet. Tell us about what that is. It is an Instagram that belongs to the actor Michael Keaton. Though, if you were going to actually just scroll through all his posts, you might have no idea it belongs to Michael Keaton because there's basically not a single picture of Michael Keaton on his entire Instagram, which feels very rare for a famous actor's social media presence. Right. Is he, most are sort of filled with, you said, like, look at me with a regular person or here's me sort of like looking, quote unquote, without makeup. But he's got almost, what, 800, 900,000 followers. And yet, what do we find on his Instagram? So... There are a lot of very pretty pictures of nature scenes, like he'll photograph a rainbow or a sunset. Sometimes he posts the same picture more than once. There are a lot of news items, and those mostly come in the form of he'll take a picture with his phone of his TV on the wall playing CNN, or he'll take a picture. I think he gets basically every hard copy newspaper in the world, Washington Post, New York Times. He'll take a picture with this phone of the actual newspaper of the headline and post that on his Instagram. Which, all of which sounds like maybe behavior of a certain subspecies of person we all might be familiar with, a kind of humor which you think he might be exhibiting. Can you tell us what your theory is? Oh, he's the platonic dad. He's the best dad. I feel like he's my dad. He's Instagram's dad. I mean, I still have my dad with us and he does many of the same behaviors as Michael Keaton does on Instagram. Only my dad doesn't have an Instagram, so they don't get uploaded for a million followers. But my dad will get a copy of the St. Paul Pioneer Press and take a picture of a headline. He's very into health news. So it'll be like a glass of red wine, not actually good for you or something. <laughs> he'll take a picture of the headline and text it to me and be like, read this article. And I'm like, I actually can't read this article because it is just a picture of a headline from a hard copy of a newspaper. I guess I could Google it, but he doesn't link. He doesn't take screenshots. It's very similar behavior to dads in that way. It's the celebrity, the famous person equivalent of dad humor. It's just dad humor writ large for almost a million followers, right? Yes. And there's just no, in the same thing that makes dad humor and dads in general so beloved, there's no ounce of self-consciousness. I mean, other celebrities' social media presences seem just so groomed and managed and tightly curated. And this, he has posted before the same screenshot of CNN segments. And instead of just editing the caption and saying everything he wants to say in one caption, he'll post the same shot four times and just add something when he thinks about it. It's just so unselfconscious in this way that you never see with people, but like especially not with celebrities. It really makes you feel like you know him or you have a glimpse into his life in this way that is super refreshing to me. I'm like, oh, Michael Keaton's at home with his dog, Amos, and he's watching the Woodstock documentary on CNN the same way I know exactly what my dad's doing when he sends me a screenshot of the Twins game on TV. It's clear there's no 23-year-old social media manager. Right. Unless that 23-year-old is a genius at imitating <laughs> a 5-year-old man. That could be a good plot for a film. <laughs> exactly. 
Yeah, I want you to channel a befuddled, sort of like 60-ish successful actor working right. social media controls. Right. I mean, I would hire that 23-year-old in the seconds. He'd be genius. You sort of identify one of your, that sort of one of your favorite moves is when he posts those multiple photos, almost like, again, when your parents are like trying to get it right. It's like, mom, you don't need to send me that thing six times. I got it once. Right. Oh, I wasn't sure it went through. Right. Exactly. That is exactly the vibe. And like, you can delete Instagram posts after. You can edit a caption like there's no technological reason he would need to post four of the same photos in a row. But he also just either doesn't care enough or doesn't have like the I need to prove that I'm using this app for its simplest, most intended purpose. Or it just is so nice that he's just like, oh, I thought of a new thought. I'm posting the picture again <laughs> with another I love it. I just love it. How did you come upon his account? Or are you a Keaton fan? I love Michael Keaton. I would have never thought of following him. I believe a friend followed Michael Keaton and reposted something, one of his pictures of a double rainbow in his Instagram stories. And I was like, wait, is this actually Michael Keaton? Because his Instagram handle is Michael Douglas Keaton, which you would think would mean it was Michael Keaton. But then, then I looked through, there was no indication that it was actually the Michael Keaton, except for the fact that he had so many followers. And then I started following him. Yeah. How would you know when, as you note, like one of his photographs was, as you say in your story, several gnawed pork ribs that he fashioned into a horseshoe on his plate with the enigmatic caption, quote, dimensions, unquote, right? Yes. There's often pictures of his meals, like it's Facebook in 2007. <laughs> it's very sweet. And he'll often do something kind of funny with the end of his meals, like put his pork rib bones in a horseshoe shape and just post it for the world to see. It's very sweet. Okay, Lauren, you get one question to ask him when you meet him. What do you ask him? Will you follow me back? <laughs> okay. And then my last question for you is your favorite performance of his in film. Ooh, I have to say Beetlejuice. I mean, he's so delightful, kind of the impish sense of humor. I mean, kind of get that in his Instagram. I'm not saying he is the Beetlejuice character, but... He's a man who is making his pork ribs into a horseshoe and posting it as a joke. You're like, he has a sense of humor. He likes to have fun. And Beetlejuice was just such a formative movie for me. I watched it maybe 10 times when I was 15. So Not that anyone asked, but I'd go with Night Shift. Oh, I like that. Early in the oeuvre, but you see a lot of his early comedy and it's pretty delightful. 40 years ago, so. He's delightful. Yeah. Well, Lauren, speaking of delightful, you've been delightful today. Thank you for opening our eyes and ears to the joys of dad humor writ large vis-a-vis -vis Michael Keaton's Instagram. No problem. I hope anyone who wasn't already enjoying him on Instagram will start enjoying him now. Love her. Love her. Love Michael Keaton. What's not to love about Michael Keaton? I'm sure it's going to get a lot more followers after today's episode of Morning Meeting. No kidding. But you're welcome, Michael. <laughs> You're welcome, Keaton. You're welcome. No problem. Anytime. You know, it's funny. It's like after spending the last few days here in the south of France at the Cannes Film Festival, I have had my lifetime supply of influencers. Like if I never again see someone in a very short skirt posing seductively in the sunlight, it will be a good thing. Oh, then don't look at my account today. I've just put one of me doing that. All right. Okay. In less savory matters. Less savory, but equally funny if you ask me. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Leave it to David Camp to turn catastrophe into humor. David is a wonderful contributor to Airmail, the author of 
the United States of Arugula, General FOAM, friend of airmail, all around great guy. And he's going to tackle this plague, Michael. Yeah. And if you live in New York, you're well aware we have a rat problem, a big one. And David got to the bottom of it. If anyone can make us think differently about rats, it's David Camp. Bring him on. Welcome to Morning Meeting. Thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure. Now, David, you're a longtime New Yorker. You're familiar with rats. Why are they top of mind at the moment? Well, you used to just see rats in the subway. I mean, rats have always been a part of New York City life. But in my mind, rats were something you always saw pretty much just on the subway tracks. And all of a sudden, the last two, three, four years, the unthinkable. You're seeing rats not just at night, but in broad daylight when kids are walking to school. They're skittering across the feet of young school children as their parents walk them to school. When I'm out walking my dog, I'm seeing rats everywhere. They're way more ubiquitous than they used to be. Who do we have to blame for this? Is it the dining sheds? I think it's a combination of the dining sheds and the epic incompetence of Bill de Blasio and his successor, Eric Adams. They weren't on the ball about the sort of little things of public policy, just keeping the streets tidy. And then exacerbated by the neglect caused by the lack of a workforce during the pandemic and then the erection of the dining sheds. Okay, for those who haven't been to New York since the pandemic, give us an overview of what these setups of these dining sheds are like and why might they be a hospitable place for rats to gather? Well, the dining sheds arose out of a necessity, which was to help restaurants persist when outdoor dining was the only permissible form of dining. And it was also great for the citizenry to get out and about too. So they built these basically like somewhere like the better ones are like very nice patios with ceilings. The lesser ones are more like makeshift shanties. But basically you have sidewalk dining, but in these enclosures. And when these enclosures are left overnight with food scraps, if they're not properly cleaned up, they just become natural habitats for critters. And it's not the critter's fault. It's the fault of the people who fail to maintain them properly and oversee them properly. Okay, Dave, so de Blasio, Adams. Adams comes in and he hears the cries or the squeaks maybe of his constituency and he appoints a woman named Kathleen Karate. And what is her title now? She is the rat czar of New York City. Does it say that on her business card, do you think, rat czar? I don't know. I'm always wondering if the actual czars, if they were alive, like Nicholas... <laughs> And Alexandra, would they be offended by their title being, well, I guess they had enough problems just being shot, but still, you're a czar, and then suddenly, like, it's uh, demoted to some lady who basically trying to do away with rats. I don't know. So Adam's name's her rat czar, and what is she doing? Tell us about what she's trying to do, what the city's trying to do right now with her new position. Well, one thing that they're really talking about, I think it's going to happen, though it's not etched in stone yet, is something called containerization, which sounds really ominous, and 1984. But all it means is that instead of everyone putting their garbage out on the sidewalk, on the curb, in a plastic bag, as we've done our entire adult lives, they're going to advocate for containers, meaning like locked plastic containers, dumpsters, essentially, that are going to be in a fixed place on every city sidewalk, both for commercial and residential purposes. Because in other cities where this has been tried, mainly in Europe, it's been a proven model of there are fewer vermin if the garbage is basically locked up. How do you think the tourists are going to feel about this, David, when they start arriving in droves for the summer? Do you think, Ashley, are you implying that they'll feel deprived of rats if they're containered, that the tourists are coming to see rats? Or I mean, look, I've seen more than a few influencers in the wild photographing them for the gram. I feel like they're a bit of an urban mascot for us, no? Yeah, we've got pizza rat. That guy was a celebrity. Right. Well, has the term rat fluencer been coined? Is that a thing, Ashley? I just registered it. I just registered it. Too late. Too late. I got it. Now it is. It's all set. Uh, Mike, Michael's already got it on 
the gram. If I can, if I can just tie this into the piece I have in airmail, the idea is that when I said before that the rat visibility is so unthinkable compared to what those of us who've been around for a few decades have seen in the past, it reminded me of another unthinkable premise. Back in the old days, we thought it was unthinkable that a certain man could be elected in 2016. And it was unthinkable that you would see signs hanging from people's houses, banners that say F Biden. So I thought, this is interesting. There's a parallel between these two unthinkable scenarios, which is that there's a whole constituency that we've been ignoring for years, and now we have to pay attention to them. And now this constituency in New York City is the rat. So I wrote this piece, which is basically like one of those pieces you would have seen in 2017 by Brett Stevens or Ross Dutha from the New York Times, where it's saying, hey, we have to come to some sort of accommodation with this aggrieved constituency to mollify them. Only in this case, in my piece, it's the rats that are the aggrieved constituents. Yeah, and it's one of the funniest pieces we've had in a long time because I encourage you all to read because Dave interviews some of the rat constituency a long time. One rat who goes back to the Lindsay administration in particular. Yeah, and they basically talk, they have the same grievances that a lot of, let's say, the MAGA population has, which is that we used to command more respect. Now we're just seen as we've been left behind. We've been, we're held up as sort of like the gangs of New York era, time of New York. And now this new shiny city says it has no room for us. There's a rat czar trying to get rid of us. That's big government overreach. How dare you? Dave, you make some 70s illusions there. And we've got some artwork to accompany your story of Willard, the great film that I remember from my youth starring Ernest Borgnine. And then we could fold in Ben, two films that set in the 70s, New York, that put rats center stage. If you had to choose one of those films, Willard or Ben, where would you be? Well, Ben I'm sentimental about because that was a child protagonist with a rat. And so I think I'd go with Ben. And Ashley, did you hear any talk in Cannes of maybe rebooting one of those films? films for maybe much of that Zaslav, like, hey, let's get a rat remake going because there's an audience waiting to tap into it. Absolutely not, Michael. You can bring that up with Zaz yourself. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've heard a lot of high-pitched chatter, very high-pitched chatter advocating for more rat inclusion in films, but with pencils down, it's not going to happen until at least 2025. Well, David Kemp, thank you so much for your great story. Thank you so much for the attention that you have paid to a creature who is such an integral part of our urban landscape and is often overlooked. Ashley and Michael, I thank you for welcoming me to discuss this essential urban topic. And with that note, back to the Cannes Film Festival. Thank you, David Camp. Thank you, David. Have a great day. Everyone loves Willard and Ben from back in the day. Now we've got lots of new rats to talk about here in New York City. I'm still not convinced. I'd be happy to see fewer of them. Fewer oligarchs and fewer rats in New York. Like that would be my one request. Well... Maybe you can run for mayor next time. LOL. Meanwhile, the weekend's coming up. The weekend as in the actor or the weekend as in the weekend? The weekend is here. Sorry. Hashtag spend too long at Cannes. His new show is supposed to be great, by the way. The Idol. This stars The weekend and Lily Rose Depp. Everybody's talking about that here. Yeah, with Lily Hot Hot. And the new Wes Anderson movie, Asteroid City, coming out June 6th, by the way. That's the talk of the festival, if you ask me. And flowers. Oh, of course. Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. Okay, Michael, it's the weekend. Now, we're not able to see Asteroid City yet. We're not able to see the new Scorsese film, but I'm sure you have something you can recommend. I do. Have you seen what might just be my favorite new comedy, Platonic? I have not. Okay. It's okay if you have because it just dropped on Apple TV. It stars Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne as two friends who reunite in middle age after a stretch of estrangement. And I got to say, it's 
laugh out loud funny. In some ways, you may have heard this, but the show takes a little page from When Harry Met Sally, one of your favorite movies, Ashley, asking the question, is it possible to be friends without benefits? And the writers, they sort of quickly nod to their cinematic inspiration for the show in the first moments. It's very funny how they do it, but then they're off and running. And the fun of this show for me is seeing how these odd couple-like characters played terrifically by Rogan and Byrne go beyond that setup and create what I think is maybe a new generation male-female buddy sitcom. It's perfect comedy for right now. A lot of laugh-out-loud moments. I think Rogan might be giving his best comedic performance since his breakout in Knocked Up. And Rose Byrne, all you can say is, who knew she was this good? Brooke and I both looked at each other like, where did she come from? I mean, she was funny in Bridesmaids, but here it's just like a whole different level. And boiler alert, she's got a diner scene that is next generation from what Meg Ryan did. So I would say tune in. It's called Platonic on Apple Plus TV. And you, my dear? Okay, Michael, come on. She was genius in Bridesmaids. Did you see Medea with Bobby Cannavale a few years ago at Brooklyn Academy of Music? Oh my God, that was incredible. She was so good. You're going to love her in this. She's so good. Okay. Okay. All right. Fine. We'll do. We'll do. You know what? It's our movie. You and I, Platonic. We're just, we're just a male-female buddy sitcom. I like that, actually. Maybe we should try to retitle the podcast. And you, my dear, what can you recommend? You've got something glamorous. I can't, actually, Michael, because I'm here in Canland. And to be honest, like the only thing I've been doing is trying to finish Walter Isaacson's biography of Steve Jobs. We can talk about that at another time. I'm reading a book that's five years old or whatever, but I'm loving every second of it. You probably already read it. I loved it. Yeah. It's great. It's so illuminating. It's like, I do spend five hours a day with my iPhone, apparently. So I might as well figure out a little bit more about the person who invented it. It's always a good time to read that book. It's still fresh and the world he made is still with us. So yeah, I'm kind of like missing the iPod shuffle, by the way. I hope they bring that back. I'm going to go try to find mine. Anyway, we wish you a wonderful weekend. Thank you so much for joining us. And we wish you a wonderful weekend. Michael, will you read us out? the iPod shuffle. I miss the icky shuffle, but that's another story. Morning Meeting is produced by Airplay Productions and edited by Jesse Cannon. Our co-editors are Graydon Carter and Alexander Stanley. Our chief operating officer is Bill Keenan and our deputy editors are Ashley Baker, Chris Garrett, Nathan King, Julie Vitale, and Ash Carter. Our CMO is Emily Davis and our music supervisor is Randall Poster. Our theme music is The Cute Monster by the Buddy Colette Quintet. A new edition of Airmail is published every Saturday, so please subscribe and enjoy all of our stories on airmail.news, which we update every day. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Airmail Weekly. We will be back here next Saturday with another edition of Morning Meeting. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe at Spotify or Apple Music. But most of all, thank you again for joining us.